I'm Nathan. Uh, I'm um, I'm kind of like a, a backup goalie for David. Uh, this way I see it, like I'm the Al Montoya to his Carey Price. Um, I. Uh, I'm part of the leadership team here at Westside, and uh, it's always a privilege to kind of come and share with you and uh, to talk. And uh, it's kind of strange for me to be up on the stage, but uh, I kind of get used to it. If I sound nervous at the beginning, it will pass. And uh, and my wife said I had to finish by 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 noon, otherwise she's with the Crocs and she'll kill me if I don't. Um, We're in a series on the Creed. And the creed is uh, the, something that the apostles, not the apostles themselves, but the ones who follow the apostles wrote to kind of summarize the whole teaching of scripture in a short, in short, like sentences. Um, and it's, uh, it's something that, uh, and I remember I was talking to someone last week and, and he was saying to me like, you know, when we talk about something that's not specifically scripture, it feels maybe a bit less legitimate. You always kind of get your guard up a little bit. We're, we're, we're talking about something that isn't directly taken out of the Bible. What are you, you going to do with that? And uh, the creed comes because a whole bunch of people um, were coming to faith all at the same time. A lot of them didn't know how to read. Um, there was a whole bunch of ideas about who Jesus was, and they needed to quickly summarize what Christians believe in a short period of time and in one quick uh, sentence. So if I had to do that, I don't know where I would start. It would be like, you'd have all these, like this, it's a ma- the scriptures are, you know, massive 66 books, whole bunch of uh, information, a whole bunch of different uh, realities and truths hidden in there. What's the essential? What's the key? And, and the early church came up with the apostles creed, which is kind of like a big summary of all of it. And uh, we've made a point over the past few uh, weeks as we've started this series to kind of read it together. So I'm going to actually ask for your participation in this. And we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. And um, I'll try my best not to go too fast. And uh, we will uh, take a moment as you read it over, and 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 then we'll, we'll, we'll zone in on one specific sentence in all this. So let's start together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, I uh, thank you for this uh, church, this family of believers who come together. Um, I thank you that it's part of a bigger church where at this very moment, as we're speaking, millions of people worldwide are meeting and gathering and learning about you. I pray specifically, Lord, that you'll be present here as you're present there and everywhere, God, and that we'll be aware of your presence and learn um, who you are better through this uh, time that we spent. Pray that you'll keep our attention, that you'll help us put aside any worries of the week that might uh, cloud our thoughts, that might um, distract us. Uh, Give me, Lord, the words I need and send your spirit on me as I present this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So the verse word, the chapter, the verse, it's not a verse. I'm going to say that so many times. It's not a verse. So the sentence that we're talking about from the creed today is this one. When talking about Jesus Christ, we say, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now, this is a hard series to prepare 
not because it's very theological, but it, it is, but actually there's so many different things that can be crammed into this one, one two lines, that, uh, these two lines here, that, you, that like, it's very hard to like, pick specifically what I'm going to say and what I'm going to leave out. Um, for example, like, the whole um, debate between, you know, was Mary uh, forever a virgin after this point, and did she have other kids or not? Uh, Catholics believe so. Um, Protestants don't. All that kind of questions, we're, we're actually going to like, leave those aside. And there's a whole bunch of other questions that might come up as I speak that you're also going to be like, oh, I want to know more about that. And then I'm going to ask you to like, kind of leave them aside. But not to forget them, because part of the beauty of this series is that we're actually asking you to engage with what the church believes. So if there's some things that as I speak about them, you're like, hey, I want to know more about that. Take note of it, like take out your phone and jot something down or write it down on a piece of paper or something to keep in, keep, keep in mind what questions this brings up. And you might actually come, I might actually say something like, I don't know if I agree with that or I don't know if I believe that. Well, keep that in mind. And the idea is not to be like, oh, he's wrong. Actually, the idea is to, to, to dialogue and we can discuss and grow through as we, uh, as we discuss this, as we like, explore this series. Now, this sentence, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, seems like something that we needed to do before Christmas. Doesn't that sound like, like it, automatically when we talk about the virgin birth, it's like, oh, well, this is, this is the Christmas story. So, so this is, uh, this is uh, fun and flaky, is, is my, you know, my general summary of, well, it's Christmas, right? It's a, it's, it's a family thing. It's, an, it's, a, it's a story that, uh, it's part of the story that, I, that everyone is, is somewhat familiar with. If you're not, it's, it's the idea that as, um, as Jesus was to be born, um, God kind of did it in a, in, in a bit of a strange way. He approached this young teenage girl named Mary and uh, announced to her that she, and then by, through an angel, announced to her that she was going to be pregnant and give birth to, uh, to a little girl. And, she, and, and Mary then said, well, that's not possible. I'm a virgin. And, and, uh, and uh, Gabriel said, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to take care of, uh, of how this how whole situation is going to happen. The, the power of the Holy Spirit will come um, it will overshadow you, and you will become uh, pregnant. And Mary said, yeah, okay. And then that's the beginning of the Christmas story, and it's also the beginning of the story of the Virgin Mary. And, uh, and you have this uh, skepticism around this, perhaps. I remember when I was a, uh, studying to become a teacher, we had a class with this... Um, this lady who uh, was teaching us how to teach ethics and religious culture, and you'd kind of cover all the religions in that class. And when they got to Christianity, uh, for some reason, I don't know why, she, she really stuck on this story. Like she was, her job was to like talk about all of Scripture and all of what Christians believe. And she's like, "Oh, this Virgin Mary thing, this doesn't make any sense." I'm like, okay, and and and, and I was I, and I was trying to think back of that. I'm like, why was she so stuck up about this story? Like, why did it bug her so much? I've kind of come to the conclusion um, that. Um, she had a hard time believing that a teenager was a virgin. I think that's what she really she really stuck up with, and uh, and I think uh, I think that's part of part of those those things that uh, that she, in her mind it's not it's not possible. I mean, there's the other whole scientific idea of like how can how is it possible that uh, a virgin would conceive of a child, and how how, how does that make, even make sense? Um, and I know there's some some questions about like the whole logistics of the whole thing, and and uh, and you know um, if you actually talk to some of our uh, neighbors who are, who'd be Muslim or uh, who'd actually believe in other in, in who don't believe in, in what the scriptures say, they'll they'll say that well one of the reasons they object to this 
um, story even happening is that, well, God could not have any kind of sexual relations with a human. And that's not at all the idea. And the church, early church never even had those kind of thoughts about the, they just said, you know, like, like with Abraham and, uh, and Sarah and like other stories in scripture, the Holy Spirit allows even a barren woman to conceive. So he's easily capable of doing a whole bunch of amazing things. And we know that this is not as unlikely as we could, we can, we can, um, as, as we can maybe think, if we believe other things about Jesus and God, then this might not be hard to, to add to our list. But what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of come across, like take this and, and, uh, come, and come with th- like three different questions. And the questions I have are, are basic, these, are these three basic questions. And, and I think, uh, and they basically summarize what's important about this. Like why, why is a virgin birth a big deal? Why is it in the creed? There's a whole bunch of other miracles that happen in scripture. Um, there's a whole, whole bunch of other amazing things that Jesus does. Why is this part of his life so important? And why is it in the creed? Well, what, what's the big deal about the virgin birth? Um, and then, like, more, how do we believe it? Like, what's the, you know, what do we believe about this? Maybe it would be another way to say it, but like, how do we believe it? Do we believe it's this way or this way? Like, what, what is the structure? Like, what, what is the virgin birth? What is the conception by the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? And then finally, after we do, do, do those two things, we'll really ask that question like, okay, now that we, if we believe it, if we, if we do believe it, how does it change how we live? And I think that's maybe where all of us will connect with this and realize, okay, I need to respond to this in some way. So that's, that's my hope. So we're going to go into this three-point structure, and, uh, and then you guys, I think, look ready to follow me. So we're good? Sound, okay, excellent. So let's start with the first idea of why is a virgin birth a big deal? Um, first of all, uh, why did we believe it? Not, well, let's just dismiss, for example, right away the whole idea of, um, well, yeah, God can do that. Um, we started this whole series talking about how God is our Father Almighty, creator of, of everything, heaven and earth, and creator specifically of, of everything. And, and how he creates is a lot of, uh, there, there's some debate about that, about if it's like, a, um, a, like the poem in, in scripture at the beginning of Genesis describes Jesus actually speaking and things coming into place. And then we have also the scientific theories and no matter where you stand on, on this, um, either way, if God's capable of creating the whole galaxy and everything around it, then he's easily able of, to create um, uh, of, a virgin birth. Like that's not outside of his, the scope of what he can do. But because it's not outside of the scope of what he can do, um, there's another reason. There's other reasons why we should believe it. It's not just because he can do it that we should believe it. There's there's a reason for this truth to to exist, and there's a reason for God to want to do this. And um, it comes down to a, a concept that isn't very popular in today's world, and that's the concept of original sin. Now, sin is a, a word that we use in the church to describe anything that we can think say or do that doesn't line up with God's plan for our life. So anything that we think that doesn't please God, anything that we say that would be against God's plan for us, anything that we do that would then make God unhappy, all these things are described as sin. And this sin is a curse uh, in the sense that at one point in our history, there was human beings, uh, in in scripture we call them Adam and Eve, and these two human beings sinned against God. And this sin, this curse, would then follow time and time uh, again from father to, to, to son, from father to daughter, for eternity. And 
the idea of original sin is that no matter how great of parents you had or you are, kids learn to do sinful things. And if you have little kids, they learn it really young. Like, really, really young. You have a two-year-old, and you think they're the cutest thing, but no, they're going to smack you in the back with their toy just to get your attention. And it's not a very loving thing to do, um, but they'll do it because they're two, and there's original sin. And you have this idea that, that humans are fundamentally flawed. There's something in our DNA that's, that's broken, and that no matter how hard you try to fix it, there is no way around that. Sin will eventually um, win, uh, win the day and, 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 take the, uh, and take the sinner. This is something that the early church and the people before the coming of Jesus believed was, to be, was true. People were sinful, and there was a whole list of things you had to do to kind of clean up the sin in your life. And this curse um, made it so that we would uh, not have a, um, a, a perfect human. Every, everyone was involved in this. So what was important is to realize that, uh, and there's a verse in Romans 5.18, that uh, one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people. So we had this idea that this one sinful act then made all of us broken in some ways. Now, Jesus himself couldn't have that sin from birth. So it was important for him to have a different kind of birth experience. And that's why the virgin birth, the conception from the Holy Spirit, was so important to the early church. Because you couldn't have someone being born in, a, in regular circumstances because it's an idea of original sin. We had someone who would be obedient and live a life of obedience. And Paul describes it in, in Romans 5, 18 to 19, which I, this is just a section of it. But if we read the whole thing, it says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus, by uh, being born of a virgin, by being conceived by the Holy Spirit, escapes this curse of original sin. And the big deal about that is not just for him, but for those many who will be made righteous. Jesus becomes kind of like the God's special envoy, his his, uh, uh, his 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 uh, flag bearer, his spokesperson, they call him the firstborn of all creation as he comes again to start anew what before was broken. And we have also this promise that this would happen. Uh, the, the early church saw this important event as something that would show a promise. And this, in Isaiah 7.14, we have the, this passage that says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, his name is Jesus. Why, why Emmanuel? That just seems confusing. Well, Emmanuel means God with us. It's the, it's the Hebrew word, uh, word there that, that Emmanuel replaces. And God would be with us in the person of Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is our Lord. Uh, he, he is God come in human form, but he's God. He's the one who leads us and guides us and makes, uh, and, and, and it was part of the creation of who we are. Um, so to have Jesus with us is an important answer to that promise. Um, 
We have an author named Karl Barth, who is a theologian, and he described it this way. He says, in the continuity of human history, a point becomes visible at which God himself hastens to the creature's aid and becomes one with him. In this way, the story begins. So we have a new beginning to the story in Jesus. All the condemnation and sin, the thing that we could not escape, the sin that if you've tried to escape, and this is something that I think is true in a lot of our realities, we have flaws in our person and who we are. We have things that we've tried to fix about what we do and how we act. And we've come against a wall that we've not been able to break. And we say, well, what can I do about it? Well, Jesus is the one who can save us from that sin. He gives us that power to change. But how does he do it? And, and that brings us to like maybe the next point of like, how do we believe it? How, how do we believe that Jesus intervenes in our history? How do we believe that God sent him in? What, how, do, how does this work? We have um, lots of questions about this. But um, the scripture describes not necessarily as much like the mystical part of like it was this, you know, this, you know, and, and you guys have had the birds, birds and the bees talk with your kids and stuff. And like, you didn't go, go into like the, like the details of like how this, you know, the Holy Spirit did this. And then that, like all that is of course left out of scripture because it was mysterious at the time. We don't know anything about the scientific way of how Jesus did it uh, and how God does, does it and how, like, just how it all worked out. Like there's no talk about that. And I'm not going to get into those things. And I know my, and actually the reason I have to mention this is because my two-year-old Aurelia actually was asking questions about this and we're like, okay, it's just, complicated and we're not gonna get into that talk to your mom and and it was my it was my answer and then and she did and then stephanie told her absolutely everything so if you ask if you ask aurelia about like if she feels where her eggs are she can tell you um and that's and just don't anyway um but uh we have we have uh uh, we have we have no in, in clues about the whole like how it happened but we do know that in a, uh, through, the, through the passage that there was a conception by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit made this happen. And the Holy Spirit is the God's Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. It's, it's often described as the, um, as the, the end product of the relationship between the Father and the Son. And there's lots of descriptions of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to really get into those later in the series, so we're not going to go into them all right now. It's one of those other times where it's like, hold for later. But, it's, uh, but the Holy Spirit is the one who conceived this. And in Paul and other places, we kind of describe what happened. And interestingly, like I have a passage here from Philippians 2, and many people suspect that this was actually part of a, an early church creed as well. And if you and you notice how it starts with who, like it's kind of like that other, you know, who was born of the holy of the of the holy conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. It's it's the same kind of tone. So the church, uh, a lot of Christian like study people, like the the Bible college people who have studied all this stuff, will say this is, might have been a creed as well, or some kind of song or psalm. And it goes like this: talk, talking about Jesus, they say, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So we have this idea that God, who is infinite, all-powerful, everywhere at once, um, makes himself human by this moment, by this incarnation. 
And this idea that he makes himself human is such a revolutionary idea that no one had ever really thought of it before. If you look at like the old stories, like Hercules or something like that, you would have gods coming down looking human and then still like undercover really being like, like, like amazing superhero types. And you have like, uh, you know, and even in modern stories, you have like the whole like Clark Kent Superman thing, whereas like you have the hidden, like who's, you know, who's this guy? Oh, he's just a regular reporter. And then he takes off his glasses and suddenly, <laughs> no, he's capable of all these amazing things. And, and, and uh, the early church, um, there were some people who believed that Jesus was kind of like this. He was like, he was God and he appeared human, but really everyone knew he was God. No, that's not what Christians believe. Actually, the reason this whole part of the, is in the creed about born of a virgin is that this person actually, this, this is actually the product of a human birth. This Jesus is actually fully human. As much as he is fully God, he's also fully human. Um, it's not, for, for very analytical thinkers, that's kind of hard because you, it, it, and or, no, it's not. It's an and, and both, fully human and fully God. And that's complicated. It hurts our brains a little bit to think about it. But the idea is that he's conceived by the spirit, which is God, but he's also born, which is human. And the early church saw the virgin birth as proof of his humanity and just to think, and I, just, I was just thinking about this, this this week, and just to think that God, who was unlimited, suddenly felt limits. It, it's, a, it's a weird feeling that he, you know, like, hey, my arm only goes this far. Or, my, this hurts. What does this hurt? I've never felt hurt before. Or this, or, or hunger, or, or thirst, or friendship, or all these, you know, like, uh, uh, human emotions, fatigue, frustration, anger, um, God was capable, of course, of feeling everything. He was God, but at the same time, to feel limits, to feel constraint. And we t- looked at that, that passage in Philippians, and maybe we can just put it back one last time. And it says, you know, like he's, he's in very nature God, but instead of holding on to that God nature, he makes himself human. He intentionally limits who he is in that moment as he comes to earth. And that's a powerful idea. So if we believe he did this, and we believed he did it in a, way, in, a, in a human way, you know, what does it mean to us? And, and how does it change what we believe about ourselves? The one major change, I think, is that it tells us we can live our lives like Jesus. And this seems maybe um, hard, because you look at Jesus' life and you know that he had a crazy, incredibly productive life where in the span of 33 years, he started a movement that changed the world. Yes, understandable. He's very, very um, accomplished. Uh, however, Jesus took on a fully human experience. And a fully human experience means that he lived the same way that we Lived And there's a passage in Hebrews that I don't have up here, but the, the passage in Hebrews, it says he uh, was tempted in every way like a human would, but he didn't sin. So he lived the same kind of things that we lived. He understands our weaknesses because he's lived those same weaknesses. And yet he didn't sin and he didn't, and he didn't fall away, which means that it's humanly possible because he was human. 
And if you even you look at the miracles that Jesus did in Scripture, you have this idea that, oh man, the, 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 these things are so big and amazing and incredible, and they are. However, if you ask Jesus, and they did ask Jesus at the time, like, how are these miracles happening? He said, it's an obedience to the Father. I'm just doing my Father's will. When the disciples come across a, um, a, a demon they can't chase out, when they ask Jesus to do it and Jesus does it, um, they ask him, well, Jesus, how, how does that happen? How did you get it out and we couldn't? Jesus doesn't say, well, because I'm God. No, he says, this kind only comes out through prayer. And all of the amazing things that Jesus does, he says he does it in obedience to his Father. So as Jesus operated as a human on earth, he did it in obedience to his Father, being fully God, and yet being fully reliant on his Father. I only do what my Father wills, he says in the book of John. And you have this idea that Jesus being fully human makes changes that maybe the idea of what our fully human lives can look like. Because it's easy for us to say, Jesus did these amazing things, and he lived this way, and there's no way I could ever get anywhere close to that, so I might as well not try. Because that's, that's the human nature of us, right? We, when someone is much better at, us than some, uh, at something than us, our human nature is like, I, I just can't do that. There's no way. Um, I went to the gym. I have been going to the gym. I don't know if it shows yet. I don't think it has. It does. But um, I've been going to the gym and, uh, with a, a good friend of mine, and, uh, and he's, like, buff. Like, he has, like, he complains about being out of shape, but then he, like, he'll lift himself up by his arms. I can't lift myself up. But I, was, I'd, 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 I would stand next to him, and, and he would do something. I'm like, oh, I could do that. That looks easy. And then I'd try to do it, and I realized I can't. I just, I just can't. It doesn't work. I, I lift, and my arms just doesn't go that way. It hurts, and I don't want to, and I put it down. Um, but, I've, but, but these limits, whenever you come across these limits, the easy thing to say is, well, he just can do it, and I can't, and that's just how it's going to be. The challenging part is to say, no, no, he worked into that, and he can do that because of the work he put into it and all the other things. And maybe if I put that work, I could do it too. Or maybe if I do the things that he did to get there, I can do it too. And if you look at the life of Jesus, how did he do the things he did? Well, he lived a life of prayer. Oh my goodness. Should I be praying more? Yeah, probably. He relied on God for every day what he was doing, what he was eating, where he was going, how he was going to interact with people the decisions he made, how he managed his time, all those things he was relying on God for, I can probably live my life like that if I, if I really wanted to try. I don't think I'd ever maybe accomplish as much as Jesus did because he, did, he was without sin. We understand that. He didn't have the curse of original sin. However, the truth of the matter is Jesus was fully human. The, um, the Eastern Orthodox Church views the incarnation of Jesus as more important, or if you talk about how God saves us, it's even more important than the crucifixion. Because in their mindset, and, if you, and I've talked to a, a, a few theologians about this, and they said, you know, the, um, they would see God becoming human, the incarnation, as so important because it meant that humans can become fully like God. And not in the sense that we're going to like create the universe, and that's not the idea, but that our, all of aspects of our personality, all aspects of our life can be transformed by God. And uh, there's a promise about the, how that will eventually happen in, in, as, when Jesus comes again. 
um, and as we come into life everlasting. But even as we look at our human lives today on this earth, there's not an aspect of our life that God cannot change. And that's a very profound truth. And the automatic reaction to this is that's not possible. (laughs) That cannot happen. That cannot be for me. So we have to ask, well, how does God do that? How does God change us? And uh, that brings us to like major change number two that comes from believing this passage right here. We can be born of the Holy Spirit. There's a idea that we perhaps forget. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, but as believers in Jesus, so are we. We have new birth. Jesus would talk about this. There's a great passage in John chapter 3 when there's a teacher of the law named Nicodemus who sneaks in at night because he doesn't want his friends to know that he's meeting with Jesus. And he asks them, how is it possible that you could be um, born, could come into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, you have to be born again. He says, well, that's not possible. You can't go back into your mother's womb to which all mothers here say amen. But, but, um, but, but like, you can't. It's just not, very po- it's not possible. Like, there's a limit there. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not how it works. And he, and he quotes this idea of new birth in John chapter 3. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. When I was reading this this week and I came across this, it kind of it just blew my mind. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, that talks about Jesus. But the very power that placed Jesus onto this earth is the one that called, that's calling you to be born again in him. The very power that intervened in history at that one point in time and made new birth, this new birth of Jesus coming into the world, creates new birth in us. And we are called to be born again by the Holy Spirit. It's an actual, genuine experience of God's power in our hearts that transforms us. And it's a weird feeling because... You know, and, and there's another verse, and Jesus continues to explain it. He says, um, no one can, and I'm just going to reread it in another section again. I, I feel like it's not the new verse, but it's still again. Very truly, Jesus said, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Our flawed human natures get a new nature, a new start, a new beginning as the Holy Spirit moves in us. For us, it means that all those obstacles, all those limits that we might have felt about who we could be or how we could live or how we could love again or how we could even um, um, trust or believe in God can be transformed by the coming of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. I I don't... um, I I don't know how to describe it differently than, than birth, really. And I, I was just thinking of, of, of you know, and before we show that next picture there, um, 
you know, like if you look at what birth is, birth, you have this from the baby's perspective, because if we're being born of the spirit, let's look from the baby's perspective. Luckily, babies don't remember anything about birth, but, but do you think this baby is, is inside the womb and hears sounds and hears maybe the wind, if it's a really windy day, um, and hears the beating of the mother's heart, but doesn't really know what's going on. But then after birth, this baby comes out, and suddenly it's, not, it's discovering things like air that just that not, only, not only surround it, but comes into it and comes out again. There's this beautiful, like I was reading this passage about being born again by an author named John Wesley. I'm going to try to get it onto the website later in the week. But uh, John Wesley would describe like this baby being born for the first time, discovering air, discovering sound, ears work for the first time after birth, and then discovering noise as it makes its own, and discovering smells that it had never smelt, discovering all the, all the sensations of touch that were felt before, but in a completely different way. If that is what birth is like, what is new birth in the spirit? New birth in the spirit is experiencing God in a way that perhaps opens your eyes to new realities and transforms the way you ta- the thing like you you hear God in different ways you you f- sense God's spirit like you might would like you could maybe sense the the, the air for the first time around you and uh, it's a beautiful image and I don't know how to describe it to someone who hasn't lived it because there's I'm sure there's some people in here who like I I'm coming to West Side it's new to me I like I'm learning things about God. This seems so foreign and so weird. What is it like being born again? What, what is it like? I, I, I mean, my, my experience of it is, is sporadic and, and strange. One of the first moments I remember, and it's weird because uh, my, my friend Alain is here, and, and he was there when it happened, but I, I remember my baptism. Um, and it's interesting because Jesus is born of water and the spirit. So the baptism is actually part of that process. So when I was in that water, my dad was the one who baptized me. So that was already an emotional moment. And he, you know, he was the one who, who did that. But I, I remember when the guy who, my mentor, who was reading me the passage of scripture was telling me about how it's to be born. Uh, he was, he was um, born again through the waters, through baptism. And he was reading to me this passage that Paul wrote that said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And I remember just breaking down into tears as he, as he read that to me. And how I felt for the first time that was true, that Jesus was living in me. And I felt God's spirit and conviction and assurance that that was true, and it changed how I viewed the entire world from that point onwards because I felt God's new birth and his spirit in me at that moment. Another moment later in my life, and that's the thing, right? It's like this, Jesus describes it as a wind that comes and goes, and you can't really control it, and you don't necessarily know where it starts and where it ends. And, and you know, maybe some of you have an experience where you know exactly at the moment where you were born again and the spirit came upon you, but as someone growing up in a church, I don't have that specific one moment. But I do know another moment was when I was at a, at an, a community group meeting. It was an alpha group meeting, and, and my dad wasn't there. And uh, there was two people leading and praying, and uh, they were offering to pray for people. And I came down, and I sat at this table, and I was praying. And they were praying over me, and, there was, and, and they were praying that I would really feel God's spirit in my life. And at that moment, I had this weird image in my head of the high school I was going to. And I was walking down this hallway, and, um, and I would see the faces of the other students that were in the school with me. 
And uh, I remember clearly the faces of people that I didn't really care for, didn't really care about. And at that one moment, I had a new sensation that I had not felt before. And it was a deep, profound love for the people that were there. And I remember I wept for these people. And it, it was a new sensation. It was God birthing something new in me that would change the trajectory of my life. It was new birth. Um, so there's, there's this picture of this baby. It's one of mine. She's very cute. Um, it's Neve. Uh, and uh, she, she's gotten a lot prettier. Um, but her hair is... Um, but, but, you know, to imagine your spiritual life at this moment, some of you are in need, perhaps, of a new birth. Um, you've, you've come and you've heard about God. You've heard about who he is. You understand that he is uh, your creator and maker. I'm actually going to invite the, the worship team to come up at the moment, too, as well. Um, and as you've understood it, you've kind of come to the realization that you might need a new birth. That you might need... You've, you've, you've come to the end of yourself. There are parts of your life that you realize you cannot do on your own and you need God to show up in history, to show up in your moments. And you need it to be in the power of the Holy Spirit and we can't control it. I can't, by magic, say something and then suddenly, poof, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then that's, that's not how it works. We, it's like the wind, you can't control it. But God can pour out his spirit in your, into your heart. And often it comes from asking. Often it comes from taking that moment in prayer where you're like, God, I need you at this time. And to genuinely ask, God, I need you in my heart. I need you to change me and, and make me new in you. I need a new birth. And he can do it. He can do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And as the music gets started, um, we're actually going to um, have uh, communion together. And uh, communion is, is a, an act where we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. And, uh, and how we're going to do it is I'm going to invite those of you who, um, who take communion, those of you who, who have been born again, to come and, and take the, the bread and the wine um, and to take it to your places, and then we're going to take it together. I'm going to read you guys the passage from Scripture. But as we, as we do it, uh, and as we listen, and as we pray and reflect and, and sing the songs, my, my prayer is that you'll connect with God and say, God, by your Spirit, come in me. I thank you for being the one who showed up in history, who was born of the Virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit, start something new in me. Jesus. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for us, God, as we um, learn and remind ourselves of the truth of your, of your coming, Jesus. Move in our hearts. Remind us again of your spirit and of your power. I thank you that, the, that you came, that you showed up. Lord, I thank you for our time together today. Lord, I pray that you will uh, be with us this week, God, that you will 
um, come alongside and follow us through everything, but also that we'll, more importantly, follow you this week, God. Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for coming, Lord. Be with um, those who can be here. Be with David and Franca and the kids as they uh, rest and recuperate. And I, I pray, Lord, that you will uh, send us off into this week, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Just name we pray. Amen.